Shmuel, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I went on to chat, uh, chat AI, this like new artificial intelligence chat thing. And I wrote mm -hmm. five questions to ask a Jewish life coach during an interview. And, and they gave me five great questions. Okay, great. I kid you not. Do you think I'm going to use them though? No, I'm not going to use I... them. <laughs> maybe I'll, you know, maybe one. Um, but all day I was thinking, okay, so I'm doing this podcast episode and we're going to talk about self self-improvement. And I'm thinking, oh, I hate talking about self-improvement. I don't want to improve. It's hard. I have a list of reasons here why I don't want, I, I can't self-improve. So you are going to try to convince me, you know, otherwise. <laughs> I think that's like the best place to start because on the one hand, we all want to live an extraordinary life, one life meaning and purpose, want to enjoy life, want to have fun. On the other hand, like whenever we come to our like coming to the end of January, you know, studies show that like by the end of January, 90% of people, like 80 to 90% of people, they've given up on their New Year's resolutions already. And it's hard, you know, like growth is hard. And that's one of the one of the best conflicts to start with. Cause like if you could make growth enjoyable, if you could make growth exciting, if you could make life incredible when you're on the journey of becoming the best version of you, then you can solve the classic problem of we all want to be better, but we all don't really enjoy the struggle. It's kind of like you want the chocolate cake, but you also want to be in great shape. You know, like which one do you want more? And that's like a great place to start because if you can, like paradigm shifts basically change your life. If you can learn how to shift the way you see something, then you can change your entire experience. So basically life is struggle, right? Everyone is going through something difficult right now, whether it's a struggle in your relationship, your health, financially, spiritually, intellectually, and everyone's struggling. And most people want to escape the struggle, right? They want to get to the point where they're like, I'll finally be happy when, right? When I'm done with this, when I end this relationship, when I finally get in shape, when I finally succeed financially, when I finally, and whatever it is. And the truth is that, you know, I've, and I've coached people who have finally attained what they thought they wanted. And it lasts for maybe a day, maybe a week. And then they're no, on to the next come time. on, come on. If I'm, serious, I was, I'm serious. If I was the most famous Jewish woman <laughs> in the world and exactly. all that money it was coming at me, I would week. be happier for more than a day I or a week. I guarantee it. No, I guarantee it. It's going to last a week, maybe two. And then you're like, what's next? Like, what, what, what am I going to use this fame for? What am I going to do? Like, what's the purpose of this? Why do I want this? It, it, it's like, we want to get there. But if you, like most people never get there. So they spend their whole life trying to get there. But if you ever do, you realize you don't want to get there. You want it to journey. It's like, one of my favorite stories is a guy who's climbing a mountain and this guy in a helicopter comes by and sees him. He says like, where, where are you going? The guy says, I'm climbing this mountain. Guy says, oh, you know, like I'm actually heading that way. Why don't you hop on the helicopter? I'll take you up. And the guy says, no, you don't understand. Like, I don't want to be on top. Like I want to climb. And it's like a powerful shift because anyone who's goal-oriented can literally hate their life because you always want to get somewhere. Right. But when you, you love learn the process. Turn, if you love the process, I get like, it's one of those things. If you love, like everyone wants a great marriage. No one wants to work on their marriage. Everyone wants to get in great shape. You know, they don't want to actually exercise. Everyone wants to be brilliant. They don't want to learn. Because if it, takes fall, so like, process, it takes so long. It takes so long. You're never going to be It done. never ends. So if you change the perspective and the goal from not, I want to be done, but I want to grow. 
As in, like, that's like literally the essence of humanity is do you want to be a grower or do you want to be perfect? So most people want to be perfect. They want their life to be perfect. Your life is never going to be perfect. But if you can enjoy the process of your life and create goals that create an exciting journey, then your life becomes extraordinary because your life, and that's why we love novels and movies of people going on these quests and being the chosen one and going on these incredible, because we want our life to be more exciting. We want our life to be more meaningful. We want to feel like we're important and significant. But But we also want chocolate and for some people wine and a lot of other things that are not good for us. Well, first of all, in moderation, you know, without getting into the science of chocolate and wine being good for you, in moderation, you can enjoy like, I'll tell you, like a lot of, like I'm extremely goal oriented, right? And there was a time in my life where it was unhealthy because anything that was a waste of time, unhealthy, like it was like absolutely no. If you understand how to create the balanced life where you at least have the ability to say, this is why I'm doing this. Like most people can't explain why they're doing what they're doing. Now, if you say, listen, I want to be growing. I want to be growing. You know, I want to exercise. I want to be growing spiritually. I want to be growing intellectually. I want to be growing financially. I want to be growing in my relationships. And for my mental well-being, chocolate's a healthy part of my diet. Like I don't have it all day every day. It's not a meal. You know, as long as one of my favorite approaches to eating healthy is you can have like an appropriate amount of junk food as long as you're eating healthy. If you have your proteins, you have chicken, you have salad, you have soup, you have, you can have chocolate. You can well, have your it's wine. About, it's right, it's about people. crowd crowding out. So it's about crowding out like in every area of your life. Like if you're crowding out your thought, your, your negative thoughts with positive thoughts, like I feel really good about myself when I finish running or, you know, this salad actually tastes really good. Then you'll be exactly. able to put yourself in a good headspace. However, however, I'm just going to push back at you, you know, for sure. still much easier said than done because everybody gets inspired. Everyone gets excited, everybody. And that's why, and that's why there are people at this point who are like, I will hire someone to hold my hand <laughs> and get me where I need to be, which is what, you know, essentially you do for people. Um, but I, I just want to push back and say, there are some issues that are just too hard to overcome. And I, and I know my mother screaming, the, no, there's no issues that are too hard to overcome everything. You know, David Goggins, he overcame this and this one <laughs> overcame that. And now Robbins overcame uh, you know, <laughs> So there's no excuses, no excuses. Look, I even wrote it here in my hand. No excuses. <laughs> Listen, David Gaggins is one of a kind. But here, I'll push back again. So basically, first of all, you know, the, the goal of coaching is not hand-holding, right? So there are cheerleader coaches. But the real goal of coaching is to help you become your own coach. One of my favorite phrases from Jewish thought, so from Pekeavas, that... And me do tell me them hard So that literally means you should create, like we translate that as you should basically teach many students. You should have many students. But it really means you should stand up many students on their own feet, which means creating independency. So a lot of people, they have that dependency. They need someone to handhold. They need someone to kind of like be there every step of the way. Now, for me, my real mission life is not coaching. Right? My mission life is making wisdom, making tourism go viral. It's so like I'm reaching hundreds of thousands of people every single month, travel the world speaking, I have a best-selling book, I have a social media platforms. You know, my goal is impact. 
Now, coaching supports a lot of the impact, but coaching also is personalized impact. Because when I speak and I'm speaking to hundreds or thousands of people in a crowd, I can't really focus on their specific problems, what they're going through. I can give the generic idea so they can kind of fit into how these principles and concepts align with their life, but I can't help them with their struggles. When I coach a leader or an entrepreneur, or business owner, I'm literally going deep into their inner world. So yes, I'll hold them accountable. I'll obviously cheer them on. I have an educational curriculum that goes along with my coaching program I take all my clients through. But my goal is to create independency so that they become their own coach. So that they, after a couple of months of really building the habits in place, can devote the rest of their life to doing this on their own. And the reason I love coaching leaders and people who are impactful is because I know that when I change their life, they're going to be able to impact hundreds and thousands of other people's lives. So the David Goggins crazy mentality, like most people will burn out from that type of intensity. He said that I, I heard it today. Month. He's like, I, I get up in the morning, five o'clock. I run for, for two hours. So he goes, how much do you run? He goes 13 miles. And then he goes, you know, but I just had leg surgery. So sometimes 12 and a half. And I'm like, really? And then he goes, and then I get home and I go straight to the gym. I'm like, you just ran for two hours. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, take a nap. And that's his identity. If you know his story, he was like an overweight underachiever who had a meaningless life and was basically sitting on his couch eating fast food all day, every day. And he went on this incredible journey of undermining his underachieving mentality and identity to build an I can do anything. And for him, it's all physical achievement. Like he has the world record for the most pull-ups. Like he's basically an overachiever in physical endurance. And he obviously kind of rolled over into the entrepreneurship field and kind of like helps people in terms of building motivation and mindset. But he is a one in a billion type of example of anyone can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. And he gave up everything. He's insane. But people really draw to that insanity. Like there's a a crazy, like um, the husband of Spandex, I think it was Spandex, basically hired him to come and be a live-in coach for like a couple months in his life. And he wrote a book about it, how like Goggins basically drove him past every single mental barrier. literally standing by his bed in the morning with a whistle. Get up, man. It was insane. It was insane. But it changed his life because he had someone to show him that everything you think you cannot do, you can, you just don't want it enough. And it's like, everyone wants the same things. We want a life of meaning and purpose and contribution. We want a spiritual growth, intellectual expansion, emotional well-being, physical health, we want financial success, we want to be a leader, impact, have a great family, great marriage. But like no one is really willing to do what it takes. So most people have like one or two areas that are going well in their life. And they kind of like invest everything into that because that makes them feel good about themselves. And like everything else is kind of falling apart. But when you no longer want a great life, but you need it. Like it's who you are. Like for Goggins, like he built this identity of I am not going to exist unless I can make it. And he, you know, obviously joined whatever it was. I don't know exactly if it was the Marines or the Army, whatever he he joined, like some crazy intensive thing where everyone like thought he was going to quit. Yeah. yeah, he lost like everyone thought he was going to quit. And he he failed a couple times and he did the insane. And now he's, you know, went from being obese, fat, underachieving to being the most intense overachiever. And like every, like there's, you know, in, in the self-development world, it's called Goggins reps. Goggins reps are basically where you're done. Your muscles are 
completely ripped, you can't lift anymore, and you still do a couple more, that's where you build the muscle. Because when you're done and you can't do it, and you build the mental energy to somehow overcome your own boundaries and get like, that's where growth happens. So that gets back to the original premise of if you really learn to enjoy that pain, you can achieve the extraordinary. How do you enjoy the pain? By recognizing it's only in the pain that you grow. Like, how do you build muscle? You rip it apart. How do you grow intellectually? You have to struggle. You don't stay in your comfort zone. You struggle. How do you grow in a relationship? You have difficult conversations. How do you grow financially? Get out of your comfort zone. Have uncomfortable calls. You cold call. You reach out. You network. Like, the world of improvement is literally like the death of comfort. But if you want comfort, you live in no man's land. You basically live the life you're living. If you want to succeed, and the same thing is true spiritually. Like Avram Avinu was told lechlecha. Like he wasn't told where to go, he was told go. And like all the Bali Mashava, the Jewish thinkers talk about how he wasn't given a destination because he had to literally just leave the comfort of, of his existence and go into the unknown. And that's where he became like, they also say lechlecha, that's the name of my sefer. The lechlecha I, means I want to talk about your sefer, by the way. I do want to talk about you, so, lech, so remind me. So I'd love to. So lech lecha also means lech go lecha to yourself. So the name of my sefer is The Journey to Your Ultimate Self, and the subtitle is lech lecha, because the journey to yourself, who you're really capable of becoming, is literally the journey into the unknown. Every single, like, like no matter how old you are, if you go back five years, 10 years, 20 years, to your younger self and tell them who you are now, your younger self would have no idea like how you did what you did, who you became, why you are who you are. Because to really elevate your level of consciousness, your level of mentality, your level of identity, you have to give up where you are. And that's scary. And most people spend their whole lives with like their goals, their inspirational moments, their what ifs, their maybes. And they don't give themselves permission. Yeah, they don't give themselves permission to really go all in and see what am I capable of? And by the way, we have no idea what the potential is of every single one of us if we actually give it our all. No one, like even Goggins, you know, and Goggins, Wahab deals not in the realm of spiritual growth, but we have no idea what we're capable of. Zero. I- and- I'm looking at you and I'm, I see you have a Sfarim Shafa on your, on your left, a piano behind you. Um, by the way, you should put a, a picture frame right behind you. That would make this little spot really, you know, <laughs> perfect. But my question is, I, clearly you're a Talmud Chacham. Everything um, I believe is in the Tyrone. Aspiring, like aspiring, inspire, aspiring. We all are, we you know, on some level. But everything is in is in the Tyrone essentially. I actually listened to a podcast today. I, I found it a little alarming, but basically, there's like a new quote branch of Judaism, like ethical Judaism, basically trying to like disparage halachic Jews for maybe not practicing you know, good enough ethics, you know, they mm-hmm. don't, mm-hmm. we don't have to get into it. Um, but the point of the matter is I found that alarming because I grew up believing and knowing and, and, and seeing that when you live a tire life, that's authentic to the letter of the law in so many ways, obviously, you know, rabbinic law, current rabbinic law, um, you are a, a good person and you are, you do have wonderful morals and you are mentally sound and you can, um, discover, the, the layers of your soul and the layers of your capabilities and the extent of, of your powers here on this short lived journey that we all have. So, so speak on that a little bit, because there are so many inspiring people. You can, you know, there's a dime a dozen, but how important is it to speak to a life coach, a therapist, you know, somebody who can work with you that has that Torah perspective? 
So it, it really gets down to one of the most important questions in life, which is the nature of life, the nature of Torah. And a lot of people compartmentalize. So we live in a world where everyone has like their emphasis on what life is supposed to be, what Torah is supposed to be, what Judaism is supposed to be. So you have different variations, different formulations, different expressions. For some people, everything's about halacha. For some people, everything's about Gemara. For some people, everything's about Gemara being going deeper at the Talmud. For some people, everything's about Musr, you know, working on your midos, working on your character, working on your, your self-development. For some people, everything's about Mashava, everything's about philosophy, delve into philosophical concepts. For some people, everything's about Kabbalah, right? It's more mystical philosophy, which we're not going to really delve right into now in terms of the distinction between philosophy and mysticism. And but yeah, for some people, everything's, it's everything. <laughs> Yeah, for some people, everything's about financial growth. For some people, everything's, and not financial growth for its own sake, especially from a Torah perspective, but impact, you know, Yisachar's Vula, that type of, you know, supporting Torah. For some people, everything's about relationships. Everything's about family. Like everyone will have, and for some people, everything's about Eretz Israel, right? Zionism. Like everyone will have, and kind of like, you know, now we're talking about, you know, moral ethical development, which is definitely in alignment with Musser. But the real truth is that, you know, but like everything is in Torah. The reason why Stakel Brice or Ahmed, the entire world is an expression of Torah, which means that everything, and by the way, the deepest expression of that is that because the Maral, the Ramchal, the Ramban talk about how the whole physical world is an expression of a spiritual root. It's like a seed that expresses into a tree, a zygote that becomes a human being. You look on the wall. This was your status today. Yeah. So. The concept is, is powerful, which means that the physical world is an expression of the spiritual, the, the finite is an expression of the infinite, which means that not only all those realms of Torah are rooted in Torah, but science, philosophy, psychology, mathematics, nature, like the entire world of physicality is an expression of something deeper, which means that, and if you learn that reason, you learn quantum mechanics, you learn the Maharal, you learn mathematics, it's like you see the interconnection of the wisdom of Teva and the wisdom of Torah. And that's kind of like the real depth is the Greek, like Western culture is now an expression of Greek culture, right? The Romans basically made Greek culture go viral, so to speak, they, they globalized it. And all of philosophy and mathematics and politics really stems from Greek culture. And Greeks were the masters of physical wisdom. And shame is the idea that Yafthis is supposed to reside within the Ohel, the tent of shame, which the Jewish people come from shame. The real idea is for the synthesis to recognize the hierarchy of physical and spiritual wisdom. But we live in a world where everyone likes to compartmentalize. Where not everyone, because that's an overgeneralization, but a lot of people like to compartmentalize. We're like, Torah is this, and that's not Torah, right? So Torah is only about living a halachic life. Torah is only about living, you know, a Gemara life. Torah is only about living a machshav life. You're like, life. no, Torah it's, living avatar. <laughs> it's, it's avatar. It's avatar. It's running through all of it. It's 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 recognized. There's a hierarchy. You don't have to say everything's the same. That's like the postmodern issue, which is like, if everything's the same, if everything is true, nothing's true. And it's not that everything is true. It's that there's a spectrum. That's kind of like elu ve'elu divri elu kimchayim. That there's a principle in Torah that in a sugi and shas and sugi and talmud, there's many different perspectives and they're all true. So how can they all be true? But if you take white light and you you know put it through a prism, what happens? It gets expressed into shards of light, and that's a spectrum of light. So you have colors now. So the question is like, where did those colors come from? Like in the white light. They're all, they're unexpressible because the white light consumes 
consumes them. It's, it's basically oneness. When you express it through a prism, it goes into realm of tunis, right? So like the seven notes on the musical scale, right? You have the, the seven lights in the spectrum of light. That's basically tunis and oneness, physical and spiritual. So we have a hard time wrapping our mind around that. So we choose a truth. We say like the only color is blue. The only color is green. The only color is yellow. Like, no, they're all colors, but they're stemming from a higher source, like that white light. So the physical is stemming from a higher source, a spiritual truth. In the realm of understanding how to analyze topics in life, people choose. They say A is right, B is wrong. But if you understand how to think in a spectrum where you say like, wait a second, they're both kind of right. They both kind of represent aspects of the truth. Maybe the truth is bigger than either or you start to think with nuance. And it's the same thing for like music, right? Same thing for Torah. You can live a life where you say like, all of life is about one thing. Like for me, my life is devoted to growth and greatness in all areas of life. So yes, like I taught myself to play music when I was 17 in 12th grade and devoted my life to learning Torah. I devoted my life to building a brand, building a business, changing the world, impacting world, building a life of success in all dimensions, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, physically, relationships, leadership, impact, business. Like you can choose one and that's fine. But then you live in like a symptom life where like you've basically constricted truth to what you believe is true. And you basically rejected everyone else's. And that creates conflict because now you believe that you're right and everyone else is wrong. And if you believe that you're right and everyone else is wrong, to defend your own perspective of what you believe in, you have to attack everyone else, which is why, you know, Twitter is a very <laughs> combative. I was just gonna platform. say, you just solved People... world, you know, you just solved world, every war we've ever had. Like that's world peace exactly. right there. We should all be at that level. But, yeah. And it's it's also it's it's the probably the most powerful principle in life, which is to understand how to get behind conflict, how to get behind combatancy and and the need to reject. A lot of people they don't really feel secure in their own beliefs and who they are and why they are, so they have to reject everything else because if they don't, then it basically reveals their own their own vulnerable incapacity to really live by what they know they really should be doing. Right, their so argument kind of is like, not solid. Their argument, they're not secure with their position. So yeah. they have to push so back. It's not just, it's not just in Torah. Like in Torah, it's the same thing. Like, unfortunately, like if you're in one camp of Israel, you have to attack everyone else because to defend your belief in what's important, you have to reject everyone else's belief it takes like a Klyistral tragedy for everyone to come together and say, we're all part of Klyistral. But, you know, those are few and far between, fortunately. But unfortunately, those experiences of, you know, Achtos last, what, a week, a month? And then we're back to, you know, the classic. Right. There's no shortage of social issues as well as personal issues. And, you know, the things are interconnected. So the more we address our interpersonal uh, shortcomings, the more we can succeed as a society, I would suspect. Mm -hmm. So oh, that's, that's a powerful, powerful principle right there, which is that to change the world, you should just change yourself. Because like, like a lot of people want to change institutions, they want to change politics, they want to change policies, like personal responsibility, taking like falling in love with working on yourself is the antidote to all social problems. And obviously it requires everyone to want to do that, but that Can is you repeat a solution. That? 
That was really good. Yeah, it was really good. That's so funny. It's also like there's no such thing as an institution. Institution just comprised of people. There's no such thing as a government. The governments are just comprised of people. And we like to change these like bigger than life concepts and ideas. And we take on, you know, you know, look, you know, I've studied at Harvard, I studied University of Chicago, I got master's education, Jewish felt like I've been in the university system, like the liberal world of like, you know, fighting for these things it's so easy to get behind this idealism idea where you spend your whole life like attacking systems and attacking principles, attacking, uh, you know, corporations. But if you take responsibility for your life and you realize that we are just a bunch of people and that the best way to change the world, the best way to impact the world and make a difference is to take full responsibility for your life and to try to live life as well as you possibly can. Like that's basically like, you know, you know, in the non-Jewish world, like that's Jordan Peterson's basic premise for what he's trying to accomplish. Like that's how you make a difference is you literally become the difference. And as you know, uh, there's um, Rousseau Salanter. He's just saying like, I spent my whole life trying to change, I want to change the world. I want to change my family. I want to change the community. Then I realized that the best way to do that was to change myself. Yeah, yeah. So it's a powerful, powerful idea. Okay. Listen, I... definitely have to listen back just to, uh, you know, really receive some of that wisdom that you, uh, so generously shared with us just now. Um, there's no question that there's a lot to unpack when it comes to mental health and the reasons Mm -hmm. why people can't get their stuff together. So your approach is clearly very, you know, psychological in a sense, but also, uh, is the word metaphysical because, you know, the Tyra is part of the conversation and yeah. So, um, as a, as, as somebody who can help others, you know, that's a tremendous gift and that's not something that I see you're taking, you're not taking it for granted, but that no one should take for granted, but clearly if you can help people and help them rethink or change the way they think, you know, that's an enormous tool and gift that you can, um, provide. So do you feel like what you're offering is something different than let's say Jordan Peterson and, and Meg, Meg, what's her name? I always, Tim Robbins and the other one, Meg Robbins, whatever, Mel Robbins. Um, you know, my mother's been listening to these people for years. Hang on. I I can show you right now on my podcast, how many (laughs) self up I'm middle of listening to Jordan Peterson's uh, new audio book. It's really hard to follow. Mm -hmm. It really is hard to follow. Lex Friedman, super cool. But you know, uh, one second, I just wanted to tell you my mother. Oh, here we go. Rich Roll. My mother's been listening to Rich Roll. Mm-hmm. Is he like a motivational, inspirational kind yeah, of guy? Yeah, he's great. He's great. I mean, all the guys, Tony Robbins, uh, Brenda Burchard, Les Brown, Jordan Peterson, they, they all have their own niche. But what's really fascinating, and this is, I mean, I've spent my life really studying all different forms of wisdom, all different forms of ideas. And like, basically, I was a normal kid, and my life kind of fell apart. I don't have to go too deep into my story. But when well, I we was... love we love juicy stories. Do me a favor. Just, <laughs> um, when you you're banging the table. Oh, just, sorry. Yeah. Okay, I'll, sorry. Cut, hey, I'll hey, cut hey. it out, but just to be mindful. Okay, so you had your um, journey. So basically, like my life fell apart, and I started to really pursue like the nature of greatness, the nature of wisdom, the nature of Torah, and I started to delve into all aspects of Torah. Right, Torah in terms of Gemara and Halacha and Machshava and Musser and, and then philosophy and psychology. Then I went to YU, I got smicha from YU, got master in education, a master in Jewish thought, went to Harvard, again, PhD, University of Chicago, that sort of as a coach from Tony Robbins. And like everyone 
in the self-help, in the psychology, in the coaching, like everyone has their life. This is what's going to change your life. This is the, the one thing that will change. This is the principle. This is the idea. And when you start to collect them all together, and like I, I learned Gemara, I learned Gemara begin. When you analyze and you break things down, you start to put the pieces together. You just realize that everyone has like a little piece of the puzzle. And if you can take all those pieces and put them together, you get something extraordinary. So Tony Robbins, for example, is brilliant, but he's a tactician, he's a strategist. So if you actually break down his system, there are so many internal contradictions, it doesn't really work. It's good for short-term motivation, but it's not really a system of philosophy because he's not a philosopher. So the two basic problems with Tony Robbins is that number one, it's not an idea-based system, it's a practical strategic system. So to do this, not this is why you should do this. And number two is that he's a brilliant marketer and he's trying to impact the world. So there's no God in his universe. Now, does he personally believe in God? I believe so. But in terms of his actual brand and system, there's no God because he's marketing to a lot of atheists, a lot of people from all different religions and backgrounds. So because there's no God in his universe, Tony Robbins becomes the God of his universe. So if you study that world, everyone People wants can't to help be Tony. Themselves. Yes, everyone wants to be like Tony. And they, they worship him. He's like literally the modern of Odazar, the, the modern uh, idolatry. Well, what about like Oprah and, Winfrey? She inspired me. Like her, all you know, she was all about self-discovery and personal growth and taking responsibility for your happiness. And she, you know, she, she was grateful and gratitude and all that stuff. And there's so much truth in all of these systems. But that's kind of like Torah, you can think of as the full spectrum of truth. And not everyone accesses that full spectrum. It's impossible to get full access because it's, it's infinite. But everyone who's impactful in the world, the reason why is because they're tapping into some form of truth. They're tapping into something that's deeply rooted. It might not be the whole truth, but it's definitely a significant part. And by the way, Jordan Peterson, I can show you, like, for example, if you learn the Maharal, the Ramchal, and we keep it attached from Moshe Shapiro. There's a lot of Jordan Peterson. Like Jordan Peterson is using a lot of those principles. One of the, like some of his most significant principles, taking full responsibility for your life. That's like that was a the, that was like obviously, yeah. That was totally yeah, like one on one. Live a life of truth, don't live a life of self-service. And, and, like and his whole these... Bible story obsession, because that's yeah, all so about now learning he's... from the past. But, but that's the fascinating thing. You know, like Cook talks about how the Rambam didn't have Kabbalah. But as he delved deeper into Torah, he kind of accessed the Masorah of Kabbalah without actually having the Masorah himself. So Jordan Pearson started out not as like a Christian thinker, not as a biblical thinker, but as he delved deeper into ideas and metaphysical constructs and hierarchies and the principles of how we think and where ideas come from, he talks about how you, the deeper you go, you by definition get religious. And he basically went on a religious journey post facto. So all of these impactful leaders, they're rooted in a form of truth. And if Torah is truth, that means they're rooted in a form of Torah. They don't have the Masorah, they're not learning Torah, but they're definitely teaching practical tools. Also, and the, 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 the MS is, uh, the, the, the whole world has access to MS. It's not limited to the Torah exactly. and the Jewish people. Exactly. And that's also a big issue today because it's unfortunate that a lot of people have to learn Torah, listen to the shame from their band and then go to Jordan Peterson to get a construct of how to live their life. Because Jordan Peterson talked about ideas and a lot of 
you can listen to a shear, and if you actually say, like, what did they, like, what was, like, yeah, we learned the Ritfo, we learned the Rambam, we learned Tosos, we learned Tosos, we learned how to break this down, even if it's a Moshe shear, like, in terms of actually how to become more self-aware, ambitious, goal-oriented, understand who you are, why you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how to live a thoughtful life, there definitely are a that are doing that, but few and far between. It's just not the model of what a lot of people are getting. So, for example, like, a lot of a lot of Buddhist, like for example, they've shown that a very large percentage of Buddhism, of especially Zen Buddhism, especially in, in America, are comprised of Jews. Right? Jews are searching for meaning. Jubu, what are they called? Jews and consciousness. What? Jews they're called. Yeah, Jews. So why? Because like we, we are yearners for consciousness and awareness and depth and wisdom and how to live. And if you're not getting that from Torah, you think Torah doesn't have that. So like the whole purpose of my safer was to show that living a life of purpose, passion, contribution, meaning, self-awareness, depth, building and empowering identity, like that's the essence of Torah. It's not, you know, Torah and that. It's not Torah also has that. So like the deeper you go into Torah, the more you find it. So that's when you fall in love with Torah. When you realize that Torah doesn't make you give up who you are to serve Hashem, but the entire purpose of Torah is to open up who you are and to help you discover who you are so you can live a life of purpose devoted to the truth, but not truth that contradicts you, truth that, so to speak, opens you. And you need that balance, by the way. It's like, not all of life is easy. Like we talked about that, like growth is not easy. So it's not like, you can view Torah as opportunity, but it's also responsibility. So if you only view it as opportunity, then what about when you're not feeling like it? Not on the mood. Like that's a great opportunity. Yeah, like, sure. you know, like yeah. No, it's a commitment. But if it's only responsibility, then like it's overbearing. It's like oh, can't do that. You have like, to find that sweet place, that sweet spot. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like I, a yin and yang. It's a, it's a it's a balance. It's a push push and pull. This is really fascinating. So if I was your client, your patient, your head job, whatever you call them in the therapy world, I'm just teasing. If I was your um what do you call them? <laughs> Your client? So it's, a, it's a client. It's a client. So for me, the coaching is not medical. It's much more building a very deep relationship with someone. Like I work with CEOs and Jewish leaders, business owners, high achievers. And the basic, like the basic structure of how it works is the first conversation is a free discovery call. And I basically give you a platform to open up and share your story, like where you are, where you came from, what you're trying to accomplish, what's been going wrong, what's been going right, why you're doing what you're doing, what you're trying to gain out of coaching. And the real goal is to delve really deep into what you really want in life. Like, what are you actually searching for? Like, are you, a lot of people, they come for financial success. And I'll say, like, I can help you with that. Like, but why do you want that? If I pay you enough, can you tell me? (laughs) <laughs> like, so tell me what it is <laughs> what, what it is why you want it no i'm teasing i'm saying if someone pays enough can you just be like well this is what you need to be doing and just go do it so th- but that's the whole thing is that part of it is really opening up the intellectual structure of like what is it that you want what is it that you need to do but that's never enough because you also need to build a system in place of developing the right habits so actually reinforcing it of building the motivation in place because there are people who have no idea what they want and what they should be doing. And there are plenty of people who do, they're just still not doing it. And the reason they're not doing it is because they just don't know how to build the type of 
reinforcement and motivation and drive to live it. It's like everyone I've ever spoken to knows they should be exercising. Not everyone does. I exercise every day. It's my favorite part of my day. It's where I come up with many of my ideas. I get my endorphins flowing, but it took years to get to this point. And it took months to get to the point where I hate it. Like very few people will, will kind of pass that threshold. And the reason why is because they're not motivated enough. And if you can say, like, why don't people exercise? Like, it's painful. Uh, it's a waste of my time. I, you know, would rather be spending time with my family. I'd rather be getting work done. Well, if you can frame it as if you exercise, you elevate your level of energy of consciousness. You're alive for longer. You're going to be with your family for longer. You're going to show up in conversations better. You're going to be more passionate and flowing because you're going to have that heightened level of just aliveness and vibrancy and potency that you don't have because you're sluggish, because you're exhausted and fatigued all day. It's like, if you get behind your own philosophy and argument, then you say, right. wow. You're rewarding yourself. Makes no sense. So a lot of, a lot of like, there are different types of coaches, right? There are coaches that will just cheer you on, which kind of like say, like, you can do this. There are coaches that will just hold you accountable. They'll basically like, you have to do this. There are, some will do both. My goal is basically to help my client understand who they really are, what they really want. I take all of them through my, my masterclass, Self Mastery Academy, which is designed to really build a strong sense of self-awareness, identity, really clarify your passion and purpose, help you develop empowering goals and structure your life, develop the right habits, build the right type of environment for your life, surround yourself with the right types of people, kind of break down a lot of paradigms that are holding you back and really help you excel. So, you know, hundreds of people are taking that course, but when I work with a client, like I'll basically personalize it to them and work with them. Then we basically personal, like there is no, I don't have a system where like everyone fits into my system. I basically go into each person's life. Some person, some people are trying to build a successful business. Some people are trying to do what I do. They're trying to build a thought leadership business where they're inspiring clients, really impacting and trying to find a way to monetize and basically make a living doing what they love. Some people are trying to like and delegate and get rid of all their overwhelm and stress in their business because they're just trying to pull away. They just like, they want to be alive. They're just so tired of making money. They want something more. So I'll basically go really deep into where they are, where they want to go. And we'll work step-by-step step of helping them really clarify what it is that they're trying to accomplish and then build a step-by-step -step process of how to succeed. I know and that the women like listening are is like- kind of passive and- rehabilitating like it allows people to kind of just process and and kind of just like digest and slowly slowly things will open up coaching is hey i don't know what happened that was so weird it just like <laughs> crashed anyway so you were well, let's get right back into it you were saying about um the different types of coaching and the kind of coaching you specifically offer so i don't mm -hmm. know if you remember but you could just jump right in I think uh, I love what you presented. Like I'm fascinated, you know, but I'm, I'm a thinker. What happens to the people who are like, that's all too much. Like, I'm just, you know, somebody just needs to whip me into shape. Like, where do they go? So that's, that's really the power of personalized coaching. Like a lot of people, they kind of like have their tools, they have their toolkit and they're kind of working on you. My real goal is to essentially figure out who you are and what you need. So everyone, like everyone needs to essentially fill their fundamental needs in life, which is you need to live a life of purpose and meaning. So you have to feel like your life's going somewhere. You have to feel like you're actually doing something meaningful. You have to be growing. So you want to be growing intellectually. You want to be in a good emotional state. 
So you don't want to have this overwhelm and stress and anxiety, which basically is usually trying to control things you can't control and trying to become, tr trying to essentially create a life that's not structured in a way that's sustainable for an enjoyable present. So people who are trying to accomplish everything at once or people who are living in regret or people who don't think they're good enough, people who are always looking for some you know, external form of you're good enough, you're capable, you're this, you're that. And then there are people who just really need, like a lot of leaders, they feel lonely. Like it's lonely at the top because a lot of them, they really feel like no one understands them. And the reason is very simple. It's because most people are not striving for greatness. They're not striving to be leaders in their industry and in life, whatever. So a lot of leaders, and this is something which I deal with all the time, they had a stage in their life where they just soared where they were so driven and excited and in love with it. And then they basically found themselves like as a leader, like they found themselves as someone who was successful, quote unquote. And then a couple of things happened. Number one, they stopped growing. And it's very simple. It's because when you're nobody, you fail all the time because all you're doing is growing. So you know nothing, you don't have any skills, no one looks up to you, no one kind of knows who you are. You just kind of live in your own little corner and do your thing. And you just, if you get motivated enough, you go all in. And whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's business, whether it's Torah, you go all in. And then what happens after like a year, five years, 10 years, all of a sudden people know who you are. You're successful, you're a leader, you're a role model. What happens then? you're not growing anymore because a lot of leaders, they stay in the comfort zone of whatever they've accomplished because if they fail now, people will say, oh my gosh, look at that. So they'll basically just use the same tricks all day, every day for years on end and they basically stagnate. So they had this like stage of elevated growth where they were just in love with life. They were finally in touch with themselves. Everything was amazing. No one knew who they were. They weren't as successful in the public arena, but they felt, oh my gosh, like I know what I want to do with my life. And then, you know, they become a CEO. They become a leader of a school, an institution. They start to run a business, whatever it is. And now they just stay in their safety net where they basically just want to cruise. They want to maintain their leadership, want to maintain their identity, and they basically stagnate. And that's why like in, in, in sports, the greatest athletes of all time, they never stopped elevating their game. Always got better. Like Michael Jordan is famous for saying that the reason why I'm better than everyone else is because everyone else wanted to be like Mike. And I just wanted to be better than who I was yesterday. And it takes so much courage as someone in the public arena to be willing to fail. That's why, you know, there's a great line, Young, Carl Young was famous for saying that the greats have to be willing to be fools even after they've achieved some success. And that's like Avram Avino. Avram was, you know, not a young person, but to go on this journey into the unknown, to be willing to fail once you've, uh, you know, you're not like a 20 year old kid, that's incredibly courageous. And if you fall in love with actualizing your potential and making an impact and actually fulfilling who you're supposed to become, you don't worry about what other people think about you. And you also don't worry about failure, you embrace it. If you're just worried about being good enough for other people, you want to get respect, recognition, you wanna be you know, famous, have notoriety, all you're gonna do, it's like a, an entire game of acting where your entire life is structured off of pub public consensus. So you basically are living reactively and you do what is safe, you never mess up. And essentially you hate yourself, you won't admit it, 
but you stop giving yourself permission to really fulfill your potential. So a lot of the time what I'll do with leaders is first of all, a lot of them are lonely. Like they don't really have permission to share their vulnerabilities with people because they don't want anyone to know that they're still human, that they're, <laughs> they're not perfect, but also to really reignite that spark to get them to say, like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, yes, I've achieved success, but this is not life. Like, I, I feel like I'm just suffocating in my own bubble. Right. And like they've hit a wall. Like, like, I'm giving them like on LinkedIn. Like a lot of leaders, they really struggle to post on LinkedIn. And they'll tell me this. And why? Because what if a post doesn't go well? Like all of a sudden, everyone thought they were so successful and everyone loves them. And then they'll post something and you don't care. You're exposed, you're phony, right? So they're like so... It's like the best advice I get for people on LinkedIn is just stop caring. Stop, because that's how you build momentum. It's how you essentially start to make an impact is if you care about every single, if you measure everything you do, it'll drive you crazy. Because like you are living the suffocated life of public approval. But if you stop worrying about public approval and you start worrying about really pushing the pedal to the metal internally, it's like, first of all, you enjoy, like, that's, that's the, it gets back to the first question you asked. Then you start enjoying it. So many people, they don't enjoy it. They stop enjoying it. And, and it's just like in music, you know this all too well. A lot of people, they start from music because they love music. They love it. It's their life. And I can make a living doing what I love. What's better than that? But most people in art and impact and ideas and Torah, most people have to sell out. And the reason they sell out is because it's hard to make a living doing what you love. So to make a living doing what you love, you have to reorient yourself to the public arena. So essentially, I'm just doing whatever's gonna pay the bills. And then you end up sacrificing your passion for paycheck, as opposed to- I've never heard it expressed so clearly because that's literally what I do. Like social media yeah. as a, you know, the, the whole thing makes perfect sense. It's like my script. So, wow. And I know it all too well. It's like- it's so hard and everyone else doesn't know it. So like you look, I'm not going to name any names, but you look in the Jewish world, like unfortunately we give a lot more respect and cover to our singers than our rabbanim, but like, you know, there's kind of like the singers, the inspirational speakers, and then like, you know, the Talmud Chachamim, that's kind of our structure of like who we look up to and I Well, the, the Talmud Chachamim need better social media um, managers. That's a, whole, we're not, that's a whole different story. It's a whole different story. But a, a lot of it is that everyone who's in the spiritual entertainment industry, right? So my goal was to synthesize it all, right? The Rosh Hashiva Tamil Chacha model with the, you know, Rosh Hashiva Kiva Tats Tamil Chacha model with the Charlie Harari, Tony Robbins, you know, Tom Billy, Brendan Burchard model with their Jonathan Sachs global impact with like really, you know, Brendan Burchard in terms of social media. So uh, like it really, it's so true. You start out only wanting to do good, to be good, to live a life of passion and purpose. And then you just come to a point where you say, okay, I have to make one sacrifice to succeed. I have to start doing this. And then it becomes, okay, I have to just make this one sacrifice to succeed. I have to do this. And just suddenly you talk about like moral compass. So like your, 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 your compass just starts to slowly, you know, one gradation, one level at a time. And you wind up saying like, how did I get here? And it's like in music, you, you essentially go into it because you love it, but then you become 
just used. And a lot of musicians, they end up selling out just because that's what success requires in the music industry. And then they, they end up hating it much more than people who hate their jobs because they've just done it forever for the past three years. They hate it because it's the exact opposite of why they got into it in the first place. They got into it because this is what they love. This was their passion, their purpose. This was what brought them life, what brought them excitement. And now they're just like kind of putting on a show and acting, but it's the last thing they want to do. And the business stole their passion wow. and destroyed the very thing that they thought they were beating the system. The system beat them. And it's hard. It's hard. It's the same thing in Torah, by the way. A lot of people, like there are brilliant Tamil who no one knows who they are. Then there are the, you know, we live in the world of influencers and public speakers and impactors. Every one of them starts with one vision, one real purpose. I want to ignite people's love for Torah, love for Hashem, Godless Hashem. I want to really live my purpose. And then the moment you go into the public arena, there's public approval, there's building a brand, building a business, getting momentum. And a lot of people, they kind of just like, they become actors. And the wrong type of act, everything's acting. Like when I speak in public, like even now, like my, my tone, the way that I'm expressing is a little different than if, you know, we're in a room just having a private conversation. When I'm speaking on stage, like part of the reason I exercise every day is because speaking on stage is running a marathon. You need the energy and, and you need literally so much to, if I'm carrying a full audience on a full stage, it's literally like running full speed for an hour. Like mm-hmm. it takes that much energy. And I'm also, I don't have a script. I'm flowing. So I have to be yeah, fully you're, present. You're addressing every person in the room. You're not yeah. addressing a room. You're addressing all the individuals exactly. and each one takes up energy. Exactly. And that's acting. Because that really is expressing yourself in a way that's contrived. But false acting, like actors, right? They're literally given a script that has nothing to do with them or their beliefs or anything. They are literally putting on a show. They become a character. It's not them, right? Some actor, like the number one rule of acting is don't become your character. Because if you become your character, you lose your sense of identity. It's like, you know, it's the Johnny Depp phenomenon. Johnny Depp acts, he's talked about this, to escape life, right? That's his escape, right? He is Jack Sparrow, right? Most actors, if they want to maintain their sanity, they have to realize, like, I am me, and I'm playing a role. I'll immerse myself in the role, but I'm not the role. So real acting is I'll immerse myself in the role, and I am the role. I'm above the role, but the role is actually not a loyal expression of me. So when I'm on stage speaking, I'm not kind of saying there's something inside of me and I'm going to project something that's completely different and this is a fake representation of me. No, it's it's a loyal representation of my thoughts and ideas, but... It's a projection. It's a projection. And it's also, like, there are plenty of things that I would never say in public because it's not appropriate to say in public. There, there are levels of self. You don't want to be too hidden behind the sleeve of public expression but you also don't want to be too open because then it's like it's okay it's, to be a like little being, inhibited because it's your you know you're entitled to preserve your personal space yeah it's, it's like a level of sneeze it's like a level of understanding layers of expression and what could and should and by the way like being vulnerable being real it's very difficult like public speaking even for people who don't know how to express themselves in public for people who don't know how to actually share themselves in a real vulnerable way, there's a vulnerability of just being seen. The art of public expression is being vulnerable in a real way where it's not contrived, genuine. You don't share everything, but you share enough that people actually see that you're actually sharing 
what's really going on inside of you, your actual thoughts, and you're not just this contrived concoction of public success. That's why people love podcasts, by the way. It used to be that brilliant people shared their brilliance and no one knew who they were, why they thought, how they became who they became. And it was like, I want, I want to know you. Like, I, I love your ideas. I love everything you're doing, but I don't know you. And now we have like the behind the curtain, so to speak, of, oh, like, this is actually a person. I, I enjoy that. And it's kind of like, it's interesting to see the social transition of more intimate, real, genuine connection to the people who, you know, we hold as our role models. It's a very interesting transition. And you work with with people who, who fill all these roles. Like you just shared so many different... <laughs> Uh, so many different uh, processes that people go through. And I'm like, public speakers, is that like something that you yeah. specialize in? I mean, like my personal, that's also one of the differences between me and a lot of coaches. I'm not a coach. Like I'm someone who's on the ground. Like there are types of coaches. There are coaches who could never do it themselves. So they basically help people do what they can't do. So a lot of athletic coaches they weren't athletes, or they're not, they weren't good athletes, but they basically love the game so much. And they basically work vicariously through their athletes to help them become. That's why they're so passionate about coaching, because they love it so much. They can't do it themselves. You're saying that you and love life. You love life. So you're more than happy to live other people's lives and get more lives living. Yeah. <laughs> But then there are people who did it themselves and are doing it themselves, right? And then like, for example, like there are singers, voice coaches. Like if you're not a good singer, like why should I take your advice? Okay, maybe you're actually brilliant at the technical stuff, but you just you know, you can't get it all together yourself. Then there are great coaches who are past their prime. Like they did it during their lifetime of, you know, the 20s or 40s. And now they're helping other people do what they did. And then there's this weird in-between where you're essentially still in the game yourself and you're coaching. So I'm in the game. Like I'm not someone who wasn't good enough to do it myself. I'm also not kind of like looking back at my life saying like, now I'm gonna help other people do it. I'm all in every day on like, you know, I have my pedal to the metal trying to do all the things that I'm helping other people do. But I also understand the power of financial independence. So when I was starting out, I would interview CEOs and speakers and Rabbanim and educators, Mahanchem, and talk about like, okay, my goal is to spread Jewish wisdom worldwide, to help people live a life of purpose, passion, and truth, to really actualize their potential and to succeed in all fronts, not just A, B, or C, but you know, we talked about the whole spectrum. And they all said, if you really want to do this, you're gonna, be ha you're gonna have to become financially independent. Because if you're financially dependent, the people who are financing you essentially own your mission. Like they control what you do, how you do it, what you say, when you say. You're basically, uh, um, it's, not, it's not fundamentally bad. There's some people who will succeed in that format, but you're a slave to the system. Like whoever is paying your bills really is also controlling your message. If you want to do this well, you're going to have to become financially independent. So I didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. Like I'm naturally, you see the study, like I'm a thinker. I could sit and think and write 18 hours a day, all day, every day. And even public speaking wasn't my natural modus operandi. That was a skill I developed. I am not the business guru. I became the business guru. Like I speak on the corporate stage, you know, I, I give, you know, keynotes for the corporate business world because I had to figure out a way to make the type of money to support what I do, to have my platform, to spread my Torah, to 
have a best-selling safer to do is you need money. You just need to support all the things that you're going to do. So right. the coaching is really, the thought leadership industry is very simple. Essentially, I'm impacting hundreds of thousands of people every month. Out of those, let's say a lot of them will buy my book, will buy my safer. Then I have the masterclass, Self Mastery Academy. So, you know, hundreds of people will buy that course. A lot of people will bring me to speak in their community and their, you know, for their corporation, for their business, for whatever it is. And then the Jewish world, you don't really make that much money from speaking. In the corporate world, you make a lot of money. But the real business is coaching. So when I coach CEOs, leaders, people who are really doing things, like those are also the people who have the money to hire coaches that will really get the results. So I don't work with, you know, if you're a psychologist, you get paid $250 an hour, $200 an hour, you work with as many clients as you can possibly take on. For me, like I'm working with a couple of people at a time and it's a very big financial investment on their end and the return on investment is exponential. Like I'm helping them, some of them want the financial return on investment, like they want financial success. A lot of them, they want peace of mind, they want resilience, they want motivation, they want self-awareness, they want to really put the pieces together. They want to have someone who understands their ambition, what they're going through, what they're trying to accomplish. So I am not the guy who is a coach. I'm the guy who is an aspiring Tamil trying to change the world, who is also a coach. And that's why I work with so many different types of people because my whole life is spectrum expression. Like I love music, I exercise every day. I love Torah, I love public speaking, I love the business world. I love the world of motivation and self-development. And that's why I'm able to really understand so many different types of people because I can go into their world and say like, I work with people who are 100% in the right-wing world, 100%. I work with people who are 100% in the YU, OU, non-Orthodox world. I work with people who are 100% in the Kiev world. I work with people who are in the intellectual elite world. It's like, I don't bring them into my world. I go into their world. I also bring them into my world. Like that is my self-mastery academy where I essentially help them become all that they're capable of becoming. But I essentially personalize every, like every single one of my clients has their own program. Well, that, one thing's for sure. One thing's for sure. Hang on. First of all, it was a pleasure being in your world for the last hour. And that is the longest I've ever done an episode with anyone. So if you think I'm letting you go early, <laughs> I were like 20 minutes over. This conversation was fascinating. And usually I interrupt every second, but I was like, well, he's carrying the conversation. He knows all the smart things to say. I'm just going to let him talk and do his thing. <laughs> So thank you for sharing so much wisdom. I have to listen back and really unpack some of that. But um, I found the conversation fascinating. I, I thought we'd talk about like, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. But you really opened my mind to what coaching is essentially and how important it is for leaders to reach out and and get the guidance and the um, friends, you know, that they need in their in their life. And you could be a friend for the right price. So I say reach out to you. I'll put your, uh, link in my show notes. Um, but to be continued, because this is a conversation that we could keep having. And I do want to read your book, which I recognize right away was not something I could just swipe through. So I was like, okay, I'm not even reading his book. I'm just going to talk to him and figure this out. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> I enjoyed tremendously. And by the way, that's the nature of these types of conversations. If you talk about a thing or like a very isolated topic, the topic runs out. If you really delve in, when you're talking about like core existential ideas, you're talking about life itself, like it just flows. And like we could really have this conversation forever. And except, the, except the that book, I have 
four children to send off to school in the morning. So I'm going to exactly. let you go. Rabbi Shmuel Reichman, thank you so much for being here.